0: From a fruit market in Tel Aviv, to a fish seller in Taipei, the people of our world are working hard to make a living. Are you listening?
1: Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International.
0: Thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Taiwan International. I'm your host today. Uh, I'm Leslie Liao, and uh, up next for you, well, I have what do I have for you? I have newsmakers, and I believe I also have in the spotlight, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But we're going to start off like we always do with a little bit of here in a Taiwan. <laughs> Welcome to Here in Taiwan, where we talk about the news that's not quite making it to our website, but it's still worth talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, We come to you in two formats. One is a Facebook stream, which comes to you online in real time. And if you're joining us there, today is... Wednesday, December 29th, 2021. But we also broadcast to Shortwave, and if you're listening to that, well, the earliest you can possibly hear that is the next day, which is Thursday, December 30th, 2021. That is right. And that means you're only one day away from 2022, mm-hmm. which is terrifying <laughs> in many yeah, respects.
2: Because, you know, it sounds like 2022. 2020. Two. 2020 <laughs> Another two. 2020. Let's uh, hope that doesn't happen. What do
0: they call it? Uh, twenty twenty. What do they, they always do like 2022. The 2020-ing, or like the, the, <laughs> the reckoning? The 2020-ing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the reckoning, I love The that. revenge of 2020. The revenge of 2020. Anyway, uh, in today's show, we're going to be talking, taking a look at some of the biggest news stories. Um, there's been a compilation by Taiwan Central News Agency and their uh, top 10 biggest news stories of the year. We're going to weigh in on that. As uh, Tomáš and I work in the media sector, we would like to think about whether or not we agree with that. And uh, we'll, t- we'll talk to you about how we remember those stories and how we remembered reporting on those stories. Where um, we were when where we, we heard. Where we were when it happened. <laughs> I-, I honestly can't remember. Anyway, all that and more coming up next on Here in Taiwan. Do not go away. All right, Tomasz. So what would you say the biggest news story of the year is?
2: Hmm. I mean, a lot of people would think that it was probably the Wang Li Hong thing. I definitely think it was and that. And if we if we go by the sheer number of headlines, yeah, then probably Wang Li Hong would take the the spotlight.
0: Yeah, um it's been a long year, man, and now that I'm looking at this list, um I'm realizing just how much stuff happened this year. So, number 10 was um the Ministry of Labor's Minimum Wage Review Committee decided on October 8th to raise the minimum monthly hourly wage by five percent, um, and that will take effect June, uh, January 2022, January 1st. And um, thrilling news! If thrilling I might. news, right? <laughs> so we're starting off at the top ten. I mean,
2: this is this is really the kind of news that you want, right? If you want to look back at a year and sort of uh, look at the most important stories you want those stories to be boring because that means that the year was pretty calm yeah like nothing serious nothing really bad happened
0: then again after 2020 after 2020 how are you going to top that yeah right mm-hmm. all the fires all the you know we have the covid there's a whole bunch of stuff out there man yeah um so but, yeah that's a that's a welcome change it's a welcome uh, change. Minim,
2: minimum wage in taiwan should go up um even more in my even opinion.
0: more i think i think uh, on one of our shows we talked to a labor expert and he was just like, for what Taiwan's like GDP per capita is, Taiwan's minimum wage should be around forty thousand, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't mind. I agree. Eh. Um, but right now, the changes that are coming into effect uh, next week, Taiwan's minimum wage will become twenty five thousand two hundred and fifty uh, new Taiwan dollars a mm-hmm. month, which is a five percent increase. Which is a five percent increase. The hourly wage will become one sixty 160 to one sixty eight. Um, about 1.94 million people are expected to benefit from the minimum wage hike I hope that doesn't mean there are 1.94 million people making minimum wage uh, yeah that's probably what it means that is probably what it means. Okay. Um, next but, up yeah. Is, um, yeah let's
2: go to the next one sorry yeah.
0: is, uh, do we have anything coming in Oh, uh, we do yeah
2: um, Nasir Aziz says it's bright and sunny great I'm happy to hear that Rujan yeah. Delori may- is making waves uh, hey, hello again. to you and Muhammad Mohamed uh, uh, El Sayed is uh, wishing us happy New Year. Ah, happy New Year! Happy Muhammad. New Year to you. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um. So number nine is something that happened recently, and that's the national referendums. Right. The four that failed to pass, and this mm-hmm. one was a little bit fascinating to me. Because uh, these four referendums were four questions, right? Mm -hmm. So one concerned uh, ractopamine pork imports. Mm -hmm. Which which, is a a feed additive that promotes leanness in pork and beef. So it gives you more meat for your... Less fat. For less fat. And then there was one about a nuclear power plant. Mm -hmm. And there was one about... uh, uh, a natural gas a liquefied natural gas terminal mm-hmm. and then another one was about referendums themselves That's now right. this one was interesting in that each one of taiwan's major political parties wanted you to either vote all yes mm-hmm. or vote all no Ex-
2: yeah the smaller parties had a more nuanced yeah, stance they had I a guess.
0: more nuanced stance Um, And then Taiwan's main opposition party, which is the Kuomintang, they had an all-yes stance. Mm -hmm. Now, going into the referendum, all the polls indicated that this was going to be a win for the the Kuomintang. They were going to get all-yes votes across the board, and that's what the polls said, right? Right. Um, They said worst-case scenario for them projected was they would lose one of the questions, but they would win... One, they they would win all the other ones. Yeah, win most of them. That didn't happen. No, it was four no's. It was all four no's, and not only did the voting not make it to the um to the threshold required for an approved referendum, all of the the no votes beat out the yes votes, and that to me seemed like a lot more of a devastating outcome for the opposition than anything else mm-hmm. like i don't know how you feel about it uh, it was largely seen as a test for the opposition before yeah. uh, national elections and i was like oh
2: mm-hmm. i saw the result i was like oh that's that's not good well uh, in my personal opinion the kmt is doing questions? sorry <laughs> the kmt is doing everything to uh fade from relevance uh. um, they are positioning themselves you know closer to China which is becoming a very unpopular position in Taiwan yeah I don't know what their strategy is but it's if it's designed to win support for them it's clearly not working yeah uh, the turnout was low people didn't heed their appeals to come out and vote and vote uh, yes on all four points. Mm. I think
0: that is very indicative of what's going to happen in the next general election. It's very, in the next general election happening next year, twenty twenty two. We That's have right. the mayoral yeah. elections and city councillors. Those are very important. That's now. going to be interesting mm-hmm. to watch. Very interesting. Uh, Nazir Aziz, I see him asking, uh, "Will five percent increase in the minimum wage be enough?" And like Tomash and I expressed, we don't believe so. No, um, not in Taipei. Yeah,
2: for sure. In other uh, cities, in other places in Taiwan where the cost of living is lower somewhat, um, yeah. it, it is a welcome addition to uh, the minimum wage. As it is in tai- Taipei as well, but in Taipei, 25000 is not enough to live independently. Um, you have to cohabitate with Mm. either your family or perhaps your partner well roommates you know
0: jen delari says the kmt is doing everything to fade themselves from relevance that's funny considering when i started getting interested in taiwan in the late 80s early 90s that's all there was how Mm -hmm. times have changed that's right yeah i mean that is like a 40 year difference dude it is
2: yeah but um i think that they have so much uh baggage Mm. historical baggage and their current positions are so unpopular that i don't really see how they can continue as kmt they have they have to rebrand they got to do something um ditch that especially
0: um, with the referendum i was like oh oh that's bad that because 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 i usually trust the polls polls are pretty good man i i'm an economics major i trust this i trust the (laughs) statistics um let's see so taiwan's government let's see number eight let's move on to the next story Taiwan's government unveiled several COVID-19 relief measures this year, including subsidies of 10,000 new Taiwan dollars to 30,000 for eligible individuals and vouchers worth 5,000 new Taiwan dollars to stimulate the economy. Did you get your stimulus? I did. Your stimulus? What did you you spend it on? um, I I gave it to my wife. Oh. (laughs) Oh.
2: (laughs) I mean, okay. Hear hear me out. Okay. I'm I'm not being henpecked that hard. Uh, My wife knows how to spend those to get the most bang of yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. for the buck <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. because uh, a lot of uh, department stores a lot of outlets were offering discounts if you're mm. using those vouchers instead of cash mm. uh, they wanted those vouchers or they, they wanted to attract people yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, attracted, uh, they wanted to attract customers mm. so my wife has the patience to research, research that okay.
0: and, and then spend those vouchers I should uh, ask your wife man I, my, yeah, my yeah. vouchers are still Somewhere in my house. <laughs> I'm not going to say where, just in case. Well,
2: you have you still have some time yeah. to, to April, figure it out. April.
0: Yeah. So I'm just like, what am I going to do with it? I don't know. Um, let's see. Number seven. The Okay, so Taiwan's... You see, this is getting really bureaucratic. The mm-hmm. executive... Uh, the Taiwan's cabinet approved a 4% pay raise for public sector workers. That will be implemented next year. Uh, it's the biggest raised in 24-5 years. since a 5% raise in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot to talk about here except for the fact that the public sector is uh, pretty
2: strong in Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, administration, people yeah. working in public administration and the bureaucracy
0: have uh, a lot to say in yeah. Taiwanese politics. They yeah. are a
2: force to be reckoned with.
0: Nazir Aziz asks, most famous jobs in Taiwan for foreigners? Now, I don't know about famous, but the most numerous is... Teaching English, teaching English by far. If you are from a native English-speaking country, mm-hmm, yeah. otherwise there's a good contingent of uh, um, Indonesian workers mm-hmm. and like from Southeast Asia, Philippines.
2: By sheer numbers, that's probably. Uh, I think we just uh, showed our sort of Europocentrism or or Anglocentrism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because really, by numbers, it it it's, is it's uh, probably being a, a, a caretaker
0: for the elderly. Not just that, but there are also uh, a lot of factory workers. That, too. That there are a lot yeah, of factory workers. Also, a lot there are of Filipinos, in, uh, uh, Indonesians. Yeah, the tech sector really uh, likes to you know employ them.
2: Yeah, yeah. For um, English-speaking foreigners, it's teaching English. Yeah. For everyone else, it's a variety of jobs.
0: We're the minority. Yeah, we're the minority. A, a, Sorry for that, everyone. Yeah. All right. Number six is um, the removal of Chen Po Wei as a lawmaker and Wang Haoyu as Taoyuan city councilor in two separate recall uh, elections. And this follows. And Chen Po Wei becomes the very first lawmaker in Taiwanese history to be recalled. Mm-hmm. But then again, uh, last year, we saw the recall of Mayor Han Guoyu yes. from Kaohsiung city in southern Taiwan. Now, if you didn't know, Han Guoyu kind of ran for president mm-hmm. uh, der- while he was uh, Kaohsiung mayor. And people in Kaohsiung didn't really like that because they felt like he had abandoned Kaohsiung yeah, he, they felt to like
2: run for national elections.
0: Kaohsiung felt like a stepping stone to his bigger ambitions, which it was, in all fairness. I mean, I don't, I don't even, I'm not Kaohsiung, man, so I, I can, I'm not going to speak for Kaohsiung. But at the same time, so we're seeing a wave of recalls, and this follows some re- reforms to the Recall and Elections Act, mm-hmm. um, because. I think now it's easier to get people recalled than it was before. That's right. And um Tumbo is just the first of a few Taiwanese lawmakers that are facing recall. Freddie Tsimpho-we, Lim. Freddie, is Freddie Lim's faced, about facing yeah. he's face, he's facing recall. And it's be um, next week. Right? Next week, yeah. man. Next week. And then there was also I think they're having by elections for Tumblewe's replacement. Mm. Yeah. That's a big deal because it was the first ever in Taiwanese history, right? You don't want to say first recall because they say Hangori was the first mayor ever to be recalled, and then you got some boy who was the first lawmaker Legislator, to ever to be recalled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, we have ooh the global chip shortage. That <laughs> is that's only number five. Wow.
2: So the video gamers among you might have already um, heard that. Taiwan is uh, one of the major manufacturers of uh, semiconductors, and which means microchips, microchips which means uh, CPUs, GPUs, um, a, all kinds of Any uh, computer component, uh, micro really, electronics. M- memory, RAM, hard, hard drives. So if you've been like me and you've been trying to get uh, a, a, a GPU uh, for your entertainment needs... Um, it's not happening? It's not happening still. So it, what they're, they're saying is,
0: but this kind of global chip shortage, especially in the car industry that's been hard hit, especially in the United States, has drawn a lot of attention to Taiwan. United States, Japan, and Germany are tr- are seeking investment from Taiwan mm-hmm. to like build plants. As a European, let me say that
2: even Germany mm-hmm. has uh, become more favorable, favorably positioned towards Taiwan because... Of the semiconductors. Uh, Germ- yeah, because of semiconductors. Because... Germany is uh, maintaining a very close very friendly relationship with uh, China is it really yeah. oh, I don't know that uh, under uh, 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 Chancellor Merkel yeah Germany isn't,
0: isn't she no longer Chancellor though uh, uh, yes I okay. mean, she's
2: she's on her way out but gotcha. um, you know she has been in, in, in power for a long time and <laughs> maybe that's what it takes to kind of make Germans uh, respect human rights more I mean, oof. hit, hit oof. them where it hurts which oof. is their pocketbooks, their, their wallets. Tomas, I'm sorry. Making some strong I've,
0: statements out here. I mean, I, I'm European.
2: I yeah. feel entitled to make those statements because they're true.
0: Um, Agenda Lari says, I've been waiting for a PlayStation 5 for almost six months now. Ouch. Clicking refresh all day long and trying to get one. I don't know. I'm not sure if the... I'm, like. Oh, yeah.
2: No, consoles were hugely affected by that. But the thing
0: as well. is, like, I know consoles are, especially gaming consoles like Xbox and PlayStation, whenever they come out, they like to manufacture... A shortage
2: um this year apparently m- more consoles more uh graphics cards yeah. were manufactured at launch because there was a, like a higher uh, demand was expected yeah, yeah. and it still wasn't enough
0: okay and I, I i had an opportunity to buy a playstation 5 i blew it man <laughs> i blew it i'm i'm firmly a pc gamer I'm so sad uh, number four is actually the fire that broke out in Gaoxiong, which killed uh, if you guys didn't know, so back in October, there was a big fire that mm-hmm. killed forty six people in a residential building, and it was later found out that that residential building was not up to code mm-hmm. at all for any fire safety standards, no inspections no no none like the fire escapes were all faulty. Uh, and that was it. Was a tragedy that could have been avoided. That's right. Forty six people were killed, forty three injured, and it was the second deadliest uh, fire ever. The last, the only worst one was in Taichung in nineteen ninety five, mm-hmm. and it, that was at a club, and that killed sixty four people. Yeah, and that's. I mean, what can you really say about that man? Tragedy is tragedy. It is. Yeah. Um. Fortunately,
2: m- most modern buildings in Taiwan mm. don't really have those kind of problems, but there are old parts of many cities like Taipei like Kaohsiung yeah. um which unfortunately sometimes suffer from this problem you have to remember that the population density especially in the cities in Taiwan is uh, like 3 4 times uh, higher than Through what, the you, roof. what you might expect yeah. from like a european or a north american city mm. not sure about maybe it's kind of on par with uh, south asia with india pakistan bangladesh uh, is perhaps. it that is it that high I, it, it Zhonghua alone, if considered uh, as a as a separate entity, as yeah. a separate city, has the highest dens- or second highest uh, population density in the world S- after Manila. So oh, what? Yeah, Zong- after Manila, Zhonghe, which is the uh,
0: district. Where'd in you get this statistic from? Uh, Wikipedia, That's I think. That's so fast. I, okay, I can't remember. That explains a lot. Because Zhonghe I got. I should explain. Zhonghe is a is a district of taipei which mm-hmm. is in the south new taipei, new, new taipei. Mm-hmm. it's in the southwest sector and that place is always such a a hassle it is um yeah. just to just to like anytime my friends are just like yeah i'm out in zhonghe i'm like i'm just gonna take a taxi <laughs> or i'm just gonna take some because oh, driving out there traffic is a nightmare, is a nightmare. Jean- I, I used to live there oh for so you months, know
2: my first six months in taiwan i i lived in zhonghe i found a room um uh, which was at a very reasonable price, I looked at a map uh, because I, I did that like a couple of days before coming yeah, yeah. to Taiwan, I was I started looking uh, through uh, ads online for you know just trying to find a room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I looked at Zhonghe. I looked at a map and was like, wow, that's that's pretty close. That's to, pretty to, close. To downtown Taipei. Little I mean, did you know. Little did I know that it actually has like fourteen thousand people per square kilometer. That's or something. ridiculous. It is. By comparison, wow. Warsaw, which is where I used to live before, has three thousand
0: on average. Wow. <laughs> Uh okay, and then let's move on to the third story, which is wow, this is only number three. This is the uh the the outbreak, the COVID nineteen outbreak that happened in May, mm-hmm. and there were over a hundred locally transmitted cases for several con- uh, consecutive days. Now this story is is we got a personal stake in this story in that we were directly affected by it. I remember like leading up to it, it was Taiwan was also like zero COVID. Yeah and then it was like one domestic like two or three domestic cases and mm-hmm. then that was like oh and then it went to 16 i was like oh and then the next day the cabinet not the health ministry the cabinet had to come out and be like yeah there's like 160 like 86 cases and yeah. then that like it was just like panic man people were like what is going on and that happened because of a few super spreader events mm-hmm. um I, you know there was there were events at it was brought in by a pilot, and the pilot spread it at the hotel where they were staying at. And then that, like, uh, branched off into, like, three different events. Mm-hmm. And were, those were all super spreader events. Like, everybody who had contact with the person, who with that patient, uh, got it. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, super spreader. It was like, oh, my goodness, everybody got it. Um, so that was another kind of uh, – that was – Man, it was a surreal few months, dude. Yeah. yeah. And now we're back to zero domestic, which is crazy to me. uh, Well, that was because of uh,
2: swift implementation of measures uh, like uh, work from home orders. I mean, we weren't uh, ever under full lockdown. Yeah. Um, Companies were asked to allow employees to work from home and employees kind of wanted to do that anyway. So, a lot of people were working from home. Not everyone, though. Yeah. I was. My wife wasn't, for example.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, She had to go we in. We had to come in like once a week. Yeah. But that's just because we have to work the hardware Record and stuff like that, stuff, right? Yeah. Number two is the very, tr- very, very tragic, the Taroko Express uh, train derailment. That killed 49 people and injured more than 200 others. Um, that was just, like I said, that was... Tragedy is tragedy, and um, but that one was avoidable. Unfortunately, well. that was a that one was avoidable for some reason. A, cr- a crane just like it was a truck, I think, that rolled
2: onto the tracks yeah. because it was improperly parked at a construction site next to the tracks.
0: Yeah, and then um, it, there's there's a whole bunch of I don't know, man. There's a whole bunch of like stories about it, but honestly, it was just so devastating just mm-hmm. to see the footage just to see the rescue footage and people just like oh man i like i said tragedy is tragedy uh, yeah stupid senseless avoidable pretty grim yeah uh and number one the number one story of the year as ranked uh, by the central news agency yeah it's uh the taiwan winning at the tokyo olympics putting on its best olympic performance ever taiwan won 12 gold uh sorry not 12 golds how how spectacular would that be <laughs> if Taiwan won 12 golds Taiwan won 12 medals six bronze four silver and two gold and um yeah we won a lot of medals in first time categories like mm-hmm. uh karate we had one judo we had a silver archery i think that uh, we also got silver uh the golds we got were in weightlifting and you know that was that was from Guo Xingzun, who's like I said, she can lift three of me. That, and <laughs> she is dominating the sport right now. I think she's undefeated since she would, she competed in uh, Rio in 2016. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we got badminton gold, which is fascinating, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens to the next Olympics. Uh, the Winter Olympics is going to be interesting. So far, we only have one qualified athlete, and she's a speed skater.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it, they also take place in China, which uh, kind of... Means that there, it's it's more problematic. Than yeah, it's elsewhere.
0: It's a little problematic, but
2: China really wants to uh, have Taiwan compete under its own banner. Um, is that is that still like? I mean, I'm sure they do. Uh, yeah. They would like to.
0: They would like it, but whether or not that really happens, because you know what, there's this one story recently. Actually, I think this is a big story we're talking about. So there's this one guy who was part, who was a part of a drug bust. He was a suspect in a drug case and then he fled to China.
2: Oh, yeah. And then he had,
0: he actually got repatriated back to Taiwan. Oh. Like the Chinese authorities were just like, "Yeah, come get him." <laughs> yeah, they're just like, "Yeah, come get him." And then and then like I nobody saw that coming because in the lead up to that story, people were just like this is like the political situation between mm. Taiwan and China is very tense right now. We don't know how this is going to play out, what's going to happen. And uh, to my surprise, I, saw, I woke up, I saw one and it's just like, oh yeah, a guy got uh, extradited to Taiwan I I think China does that every time uh, there is a
2: like a negative thing connected to Taiwan yeah Uh, they say like oh well normally they say Taiwan is a part of China but then whenever there's like a Taiwanese criminal that like uh, goes somewhere else or or, well not all of them because some of them like from Europe for example get
0: repatriated to China but from China, they're like, oh no no, take him. Yeah, but the thing is, yeah, like you said, right? Some of the scam callers that are busted who are Taiwanese, like in yeah. Europe or anything in, like in that. In Turkey, most recently, I they think? get they get thrown to China because China yeah. is just like yeah, they're Taiwanese people, and that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's about all the time we have for this edition of Here in Taiwan. We hope you enjoyed listening to Tomash and I talk about. Uh, well, the news, the Mm -hmm. top 10 news stories of the year. Let us know if there were any other news stories that stuck out to you. And A lot um, more
2: of us coming to you next year as well. Yeah, a lot
0: more. We're going to be doing this again next year. Look out for that. Don't you worry, guys. Anyway, guys, for Here in Taiwan, I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Tomasz Koper. We'll see you again real soon. Bye.
1: Newsmakers, a look at Taiwan's movers and shakers.
2: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Newsmakers. In this episode, I will be bringing you the profile of an important and extremely controversial historical figure, Chiang Kai-shek. Chiang has been in the news again this week, over 56 years after his death. The reason? His name, as well as that of his son, Jiang Jingguo, are still to be found all over Taiwan. But before we get to that, let's take a look at the man himself, the major events that played out during his lifetime, and how Taiwan is dealing with this legacy. Jiang Kai-shek was born in 1887 in Shiko, in the Chinese province of Zhejiang, to a well-off family of salt merchants. Jiang Kai-shek was not the name he was known by at the time. This was before the Chinese-speaking world adopted a standardized naming system, so Jiang was called by a variety of childhood and school names. Kai-shek is a Cantonese romanization of his pen name, jie which he adopted in 1912. Towards the end of the second decade of the 20th century, he changed his name to Jiang Zheng, loosely translated as central and upright, possibly to make it sound more similar to the name of Dr. Sun Yat-sen or Song San in Mandarin, meaning central mountain. Sun Yat-sen was, and still is, regarded as the driving force of the 1911 revolution, which brought down China's last imperial dynasty, the Qing. Chiang lost his father Yang, and his mother, by his own account, fell on hard times after losing her husband. From an early age, he was known as a bit of a troublemaker with a strong interest in military matters. In the early 1900s, he traveled to Japan and attended an Imperial Japanese Army Academy, catering chiefly to Chinese students. While there, he developed contacts with the revolutionary movement, which aimed to overthrow the Qing dynasty, mostly ruled by the Manchu Imperial House, and replace it with a Han Chinese-ruled republic. After finishing his education, he served in the Imperial Japanese Army from 1909 to 1911. Upon his return to China, Jiang became a founding member of the Nationalist Party, which was later transformed into the Kuomintang, or KMT. The KMT still exists in Taiwan today, Soon after the successful revolution of 1911 and 1912, a politician by the name of Yuan Shikai first took over the newly established Republican government, only to eventually proclaim himself emperor of a new dynasty. During this time, Jiang spent time in exile in Japan or at the exterritorial Shanghai International Settlement, much like many of his KMT comrades. Yuan Shikai died in 1916, which resulted in a power vacuum in China. Bereft of central authority, China was divided into spheres of influence between competing military strongmen with constantly shifting alliances and only nominal allegiances to civilian governments. This period, lasting roughly until 1928, is known in Western historiography of China as the Warlord Era. Sun Yat-sen died in 1925 and left behind a power vacuum in the KMT and among revolutionary activists. After a fierce and often bloody power struggle, Jiang emerged victorious and was able to limit the influence of Soviet-sponsored Comintern and local communist sympathizers in the military. In 1926, he was declared Commander-in-Chief of the National Revolutionary Army. That same year, he launched a long-planned campaign called the Northern Expedition with the aim of defeating the warlords in the north and unifying China under the banner of the KMT. Even before the campaign was completed, rifts began to emerge in the KMT. Jiang, ever fearful of left-wing influence, launched a purge of suspected communists in Shanghai, followed by large-scale massacres elsewhere in the country. It is estimated that at least 300,000 people were executed by the KMT during that time, known as the White Terror, not to be confused with Taiwan's White Terror, although real numbers might have been much higher, especially in rural areas. Jiang was known at the time to say that he would rather mistakenly kill 1,000 innocent people than allow one communist to escape. This was the beginning of the Chinese Civil War between the Chinese Communist Party and the government of Chiang Kai-shek, which soon removed all other contenders to that designation. In 1927, Jiang secured an important political alliance by marrying Sung ling the younger sister of the late Sun Yat-sen's widow. The period between 1928 and 1937 is known as the Nanjing Decade since that city is where Jiang had located his government and the capital of the country. Attempts at modernizing and reforming the country were made with varying degrees of success. Although the KMT had control over urban areas, large parts of the country were still under the influence of local military strongmen and the Chinese Communist Party. Jiang's army had to constantly quell unrest and eliminate threats to his political power. His fifth campaign against the communists forced the latter to retreat north in what has later been called the Long March. In a manifestation of historical irony, it was this retreat that propelled Mao Zedong, who was merely one of many military officials in the ranks of the CCP, to a position of real influence. Millions of deaths have been attributed to KMT's policies during this decade. Vast historical monographs have been written on the Chinese Civil War, as well as the Second Sino-Japanese War, which broke out in 1937 with a brutal Japanese invasion of China and continued until Japan's surrender to Allied forces in 1945. Due to time constraints, we will have to, unfortunately, gloss over this fascinating period in history in today's program. The war left China devastated, but with the KMT seemingly positioned better than the Communists to continue the Civil War. The nationalists had enjoyed foreign aid and support in fighting the Japanese in the form of military equipment and money. Yet, just four years later, the KMT found itself defeated and forced to flee to Taiwan, which had been ceded to China from Japan in 1945. The causes of that spectacular defeat are numerous and complex, but can be vastly oversimplified to corruption in the KMT and their lack of popular support. One of Jiang's American advisors, Joseph Stilwell, gave him a derogatory nickname, General Kashmai Chek, which reflected an increasingly negative view of Jiang by his former allies. Such was the scale of corruption in KMT's military that aid bound for them often found its way to Chinese communists. After fleeing to Taiwan, Jiang established a government in exile in Taipei. The KMT's rule here was as brutal and authoritarian as it had been in China, which is why it is referred to by a name we have heard today already, the White Terror. Zhang died in 1975 without having realized his dream of reconquering China. He was succeeded by his son, Zhang Jingguo, and in the following decades, Taiwan, to this day formally known as the Republic of China, fought for and won the democracy it enjoys today. So why is Chiang Kai-shek in the news again, 56 years after his death? Earlier this month, Taiwan's Transitional Justice Commission published a study according to which over 350 street names all over Taiwan are still named after Chiang Kai-shek and his son. According to the commission, names play an important role in shaping the identity of local communities and, as such, should be changed. The Commission recommends choosing new names that promote local languages and cultures, including those of indigenous communities. Even now, decades after the worst excesses of KMT's authoritarian rule, Taiwan is still dealing with this heavy burden, just as it is dealing with the legacy of the Republic of China on the international stage. Thank you for sticking with me through this long episode. Join me next week for another look at Taiwan's movers and shakers.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lynn with In the Spotlight.
3: Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lynn. This is the second part of an interview I had with Joyce Tsai, assistant researcher at the National Palace Museum and the organizer of the National Palace Museum, or NPM, oversees Youth Ambassadors Camp and three chosen youth ambassadors, Ming, Kai, and Joanna. Um, the National Palace Museum, or NPM, has a permanent collection of nearly 700,000 pieces of ancient Chinese imperial artifacts, and artworks, making it one of the largest of its type in the world, and it's right here in Taipei, Taiwan. So the ambassadors today will be talking about what memes and creative ideas they came up with for promoting the National Palace Museum to the younger audience. What is it about the museum that you like most? Do you like paintings or potteries or, I don't know, sculptures? I mean, Ming? What do you like most?
4: Mm, I quite like the paintings Yeah um, But I would say Jade for this question Because um, We actually got an expert of um, Who studied um, Jade collections At National Palace Museum okay. And he mm-hmm. shared um, Why the shapes of the jade Were um, different In different Chinese dynasties Like in Han, There may be um the long sing one or 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 dragon? They, yeah okay. dragon dragon shaped uh-huh. um pattern something mm. yeah so i think that was quite impressive for me
3: yeah oh wow mm. what about you kai
1: oh uh, for me like i'm really surprised that the national palace museums makes lots of dedications to reach out to the different groups of people in the society because i'm from the social science backgrounds mm. and i'm i'm used to studies like agent population and and the in this programs, I noticed that National Palace Museum did some like special program for the groups of people. For example, the physical challenge or the aging population. They they even choreograph some kind of uh, dance for the aging population to help them to mm-hmm. like stretch their body to ease their like soreness. And this those like uh, dance or programs are like. Uh, Inspired by the art craft and the and the National Palace Museum.
5: Oh,
3: okay,国宝动动操, right?
6: Yeah.
3: Uh huh. <laughs> so you're saying that you guys um, kind of choreographed this uh, exercise routine based mm-hmm. on
6: paintings inspired by inspired someone. by Right. some of our collections and,
3: and the collections mm. are we're talking about way back like you know hundreds and thousands of years old right. what about you Joanna um, what do you like most I mean out of all the collections in the National Palace Museum um, I'm impressed
7: with the snuff bottle collections <gasps>
3: Yeah. yeah. Before
7: that, I didn't know that there's snuff bottle, but uh-huh. because of this program, I started to look into it and I felt like it's a very interesting type of artifact mm. because it's so small, but um, a lot of people, especially um, noble people during the Qing Dynasty used it and it was very um, detailedly made.
5: Mm. Yeah,
7: I remember there's like a snuff bottle and its shape is like a bamboo. Yeah, so it was very impressive. Oh, wow. What do they usually put inside the snuff bottles? The I mean what kind of things? Chinese medicine powder that is very fragrant and um after oh. you snuff it you feel like more refreshed, I guess.
6: It's
3: you
7: so also like...
6: sneeze. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so. I, I would imagine myself sneezing, you know, yeah. on that. You can spend hours in a museum if you want to. And there is so much to see that even one day wouldn't do. Maybe even like two days or two weeks wouldn't do, but Ming, you had the idea of... Oh, you said human um uh, Of NPM. Of, yeah, NPM, right. And what about Kai? What's that something that you came up with that um, you, you did to attract a, a, a more youth audience?
1: Oh, actually, it's not only for me. It's from from me, is from the one of my group members.
3: Oh, you guys are in a yeah. team, like you know, don't work individually. I oh, got it, got it. Okay, go yeah. on.
1: And during the discussions, one of our like final project is about to the use the like creative way or method to promote the National Palace Museum to the like youth like generations, and uh, our idea is to presented the sneakers like Nike or Adidas like uh, oh. sneakers like stuff young generations like and what we try to just put the painting from the art craft of National Palace Museum in the, Snickers to the sneakers to wow. attract more young generations
3: really yeah. okay so is it on the market already these sneakers
1: well it's like a, it's, an idea, it's from, an idea yeah but we did like try to like want to make it into the practice but still in the progress <laughs>
3: young people like to collect sneakers mm-hmm. yeah, and they yeah. like to wear sneakers all the time mm-hmm. and so if um if you have a new style or something like that it opens their eyes to something that you know why not right mm-hmm. and i think they can show off you know <laughs> i have a collection of guess what that is you know npm's all these um yeah collections and things like that
6: were you gonna say something joyous about that yeah i mean um we had uh 20 21 participants mm. and they were divided into Five different groups. Okay, okay. Each group for their like uh, final presentation, they they proposed something. Uh, we thought are really refreshing. And mm-hmm. Kai just mentioned uh, their group project. Yeah. How they combine art and sports sportswear. Oh. I think a uh, Kai like a uh, Joanna and Ming. Uh uh-huh. They after the program they established uh, an IG account Instagram yeah. account and also uh, a Facebook page uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, that they continue. Um, to invite uh, our youth ambassadors to create really fresh content. Mm. And uh, Kai, because his study is on the aging population, like the old elderly population, Mm. so he, he wasn't focused on that. But his research project that was inspired by the camp is also very, very interesting. Actually, young people
3: nowadays really, really have a lot of ideas and very innovative and very creative and always try to be unique. So... So I think I'm sure you guys had some really great ideas, but Facebook is not your thing, not young people's <laughs> thing. So you are trying to incorporate all echelon of society, right? So you try to get into Facebook. <laughs> uh,
4: um, initially we have the Facebook page set, And then I called Dr. Tsai Said (laughs) like If we want to reach The new generation We couldn't just use Facebook Facebook. That is not enough (laughs) So so yeah We create another um, Instagram Instagram. page (laughs) Yeah
3: Yeah. That is so interesting You're listening to In the Spotlight With Shirley Lin I'm speaking with Joyce Tsai, assistant researcher at the National Palace Museum and also the organizer of the NPM Overseas Youth Ambassadors Camp and three youth ambassadors, Ming, Kai, and Joanna. I understand that this program, as a result of it, there were like some teams who came up with some memes or something like that. I don't know how well you can talk about that on air, Mm -hmm. but um, is there a way to describe it maybe like? I'm 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 really curious mm. as to what kind of meme would come out of National Palace Museum or a program mm. on National Palace Museum. So I don't know. Is there a way that you guys can describe a certain meme?
4: Let's start with mine. Okay. Um, I chose the painting from Nan Dynasty, which is called um, translated into English. It is um, ladies fishing. Around the Lutus Pound, okay, and on the co- at the corner of the painting, you can see a mother is like, um, she she's like talking to her children and having some, you know, interesting gestures. So I just add the caption, the meme caption on it says like, um, the children. Um, was asking her her mother whether he can buy something. It's like, uh, "Mom, can I buy?" He he couldn't finish the f- sentence, but his mother interrupted him and said, like, "Put it back." <laughs> that is oh. what what happened in our like r- real life, right? Like every day day to day living.
3: Yeah, right. Like young people, are just children. You're not supposed to touch things. You're supposed to just only see things, yeah. right? without touching oh <laughs> okay and and any other memes you can I know it's kind of hard but to describe
6: well some of the memorable ones um, yeah. include for example in Chinese calligraphy um, there are different script types some of the script types are standard so it's very legible okay Uh, you can see clearly what each word is and there's also on the other spectrum there's this kind of wild calligraphy and it um even native chinese speakers and readers couldn't Couldn't decipher it without some kind of guidance or previous training so uh one of our uh ambassadors she actually put together uh these two Uh uh-huh one half of it is the standard script uh that's Written in a very orderly way, the other half is written in a wild cursive. Cursive. And um, she said that you know this is what happens when you're writing your final
3: exams.
6: Exams, you know, the first part, the the standard script part, is when you still have time, (laughs) and the wild script part is when you're running out of time. So that was one of the uh, a memorable meme. (laughs) Yeah, that that (laughs) that, that, I can picture it.
3: I can almost picture it. Yeah, that is so neat. You know, that's the thing about memes. I mean, I mean, Joyce, in our days, we don't have memes, you know? People are not as crazy and, you know, kind of like think out of the box kind of thing, right? Yeah.
6: Surely you're making me feel old. <laughs> that's okay. Like our national I'm much older treasures. than you, Joyce.
3: <laughs> Is there a way that we can learn more about this program? I wonder if there's anything else you guys want to say, you know, about this program or um, hopefully... I mean, not that we hope for COVID to continue, but the thing is that we do hope, and I think that there is a way to continue this program, this um, you know youth ambassador program. So, any last words you guys want to say about the program? Anything that you really definitely want to mention about this, if the if the program were to continue, you know, into the future?
7: Mm, follow our Instagram account. <laughs> okay. It's called MPM Youth International. <laughs>
3: Okay, so that's one word, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. NPM we, U, the okay.
4: the purpose of that um, social platform use is to create a foreign language environment for mm-hmm. um, for the audiences from overseas. Overseas. Yeah, they can mm-hmm. see so many like interesting content. Like we know the Facebook does, does especially for the South Branch of um, um, National Palace Museum, yes. they are doing some interesting interaction with mm-hmm. their audience but um they do not have such project with um interacting with the audiences from overseas, overseas. so mm-hmm. that that part will cover that and uh-huh. and yeah just go follow us
3: right yeah that's great so anything like maybe a, a website a link to follow this program or whatever mm-hmm. in a follow-up
6: well um I wanted to say that uh, although we might not continue this specific program, Mm. NPM is always there and we're very interested in hearing from our younger audiences um, in their 20s, in their 30s. I also wanted to uh, share that personally, I'm very glad to have been involved in this program because our program has made a lot of firsts. Uh, mm. at the museum mm. uh, you know um, in, in previously we may not be so focused on developing English or foreign language content right uh, but through these ambassadors work we now have an English um, Instagram account mm. um, and um, thanks to Shirley's invitation mm. um, this is also one of the more uh, rarer moments where uh, we can come and uh, talk about NPM's uh, uh, services and uh, programs mm-hmm. um, in English to right. an international audience. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, uh, I, I hope that uh, this program's spirit, experimental spirit, um, and its engagement with uh, youth community in Taiwan and beyond will continue. And more people will come and uh, visit us and see oh. how we have changed.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, it's really great. I understand that there, we have a huge collection that um they rotate go through a rotating schedule and the thing is that there's like never endless collection we've got such a huge collection but how often do we change the collection in there mm-hmm. on exhibit
6: for the paintings and calligraphy because mm. they're of very fragile uh
3: material right.
6: they're changed every three months, months. okay uh, but for maybe ceramics and bronzes they get changed on a longer uh, interval uh-huh. they stay on view for a slightly longer period of time. What would you guys recommend me see?
4: Uh, we have a current exhibition on Islamic um, collection at the National Palace Museum, and it is quite surprising that National Palace Museum has so many collections on related to Islamic culture oh, and their influences. Know. yeah. Uh-huh. so uh, most them from Ming Dynasty oh. um, because I think, that the expert introduces us like they say the ming dynasty has a special connection to the islamic religion
3: thank you so much and congratulations on becoming um i would say certified uh, youth ambassadors of npm thank you very thank much Thank you so much shirley for having us all right no problem thank you <laughs>
5: Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you'd like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International. And you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at... Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. And if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI2Go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI2Go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into 6100 kHz from 1600 to 1700 UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kHz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International.